Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Hello and uh, welcome. Welcome back. Welcome for the first time to the Ankeny Gospel Church podcast. My name is Parker McGoldrick. I'm one of the pastors here at Ankeny Gospel Church. And today we're going to be diving into Mark chapter 4. This was originally going to be a sermon. We ended up having to cut it because of a number of reasons. Um, So we had to cut it. But um, I think it's a great text and I want to be able to kind of talk through it with you guys, look through it with you guys. Um, We did the same similar thing in Mark chapter 1 where we took a deep dive um, kind of the study notes edition of Mark chapter one. And then, you know, last week, uh, Tom preached uh, Mark two. And then this week, we're just going to kind of focus on Mark four. And then next week, we'll hear from uh, uh, our other pastor, Dave Nelson, on Mark chapter six. Like I said, we're going kind of sprinting through the gospel of Mark um, here as a church before uh, Easter. Um, and then we'll we'll end uh, Mark on Easter Sunday. So it kind of lines up. But all that being said is, um, yeah, if you if you have your Bibles, that'd be great. If not, totally fine. I will try to uh, explain this as best I can. But Mark chapter 4 is a very famous parable. It is also the second longest dialogue of Jesus, or I guess monologue of Jesus in the gospel according to Mark. The other one is Mark 13, which we're not going to talk about because it's super confusing. Um. And this is the parable of the sower, also sometimes called the parable of the seed, also sometimes called the parable of the ground, basically because nobody can really decide what's the what's the main point. Is it the sower or is it the seed or is it the ground? But that's honestly neither here nor there. It doesn't really matter. So I'm going to read uh, different a couple verses at a time, and then we're just going to talk through them. And then we're also, I here's the main point. Actually, there's two main points. One, how does this parable fit into the larger context of Mark, right? How does this tree fit into the forest? Where is this tree located in the forest, right? I love thinking about how different narratives, different um, like stories or parables or little scenes. If you think about a movie, movies have multiple scenes and they all come together to make a movie. Well, you can kind of view the, the gospels or narratives like that too, where there's these different scenes, but they also have a purpose and a point in the whole story, the story as a whole. So that's what, that's the first thing we're going to be focusing on, or one of the things we're going to be focusing on. Another thing that we're going to be really focusing on is the illusion and the quote found in Isaiah. Da-da-da. If you remember from uh, Mark 1, there's a big quote from Isaiah, or a big emphasis on Isaiah, and the same is here. And it's actually a really confusing um, section, um, and it kind of makes it sound like Jesus is kind of mean. Um, but we're going to look at that and how Mark is actually using Isaiah and how Mark interprets the, um, parable. So ready? Great. Here we go. If you're not, that's okay too. You can pause this and come back later. Mark chapter four, I'm reading from the CSB. I'm going to read a few verses and we'll go from there again. He being Jesus, he began to teach by the sea. And a very large crowd gathered around him. So he, Jesus, got into a boat on the sea, and he sat down, while the whole crowd 
was by the sea on the ground. Verse 2, he taught them many things, many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and they devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil um, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns came up, choked it, and it did not produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Okay, that was verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4. Few things to note here. He, Jesus, is talking. There's a very large crowd gathered around him, and he's talking to them. He's on the ocean in the sea and they are on the ground okay then he tells a parable about this person who sows the word or sows seed to different types of ground there are four types of ground um there's the ground that is just the path and the birds immediately devour it there's the ground that um it's rocky ground not a lot of soil shoots up bright and you know alive and ready to go. And then as soon as the sun comes, it dies. There's a ground that's among thorns and the thorns eventually choke it out and die. And then there's the ground, like good ground, ground that actually produces fruit. Now, what's interesting is that all of the ground, like three quarters of the ground is bad ground. I think, you know, we sometimes think like, okay, well, what does the good ground do? And how can I be the good ground? And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because the interpretation is that the ground is like different types of people, different types of heart and their responses to the word. But a lot of times we focus on, well, what makes the good ground good? Or how can I become the good ground? But clearly Jesus's emphasis is on the bad ground, right? Like he talks about four different types of ground. Now, what's interesting also is that he starts this parable with the word, listen, And he ends the parable with the word, listen. And thankfully for us, he explains the parable. But whenever Jesus, well, really anybody in the New Testament, but especially Jesus, whenever Jesus says, listen, like it's very important. And then he ends it with, if let anyone who has ears to hear, listen or let him hear. And so this whole uh, parable is bookended. By Jesus saying, hey, listen, 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 listen. So then what does this mean? The next couple of verses, this is where the good stuff happens. Verse 10, when he was alone, Jesus was alone. Well, actually, he wasn't alone. I think this is so funny. It says, when he was alone, those around him, along with the 12, asked him about the parables which I think is hilarious. Like when Jesus was alone, but then it goes on to say, oh, he wasn't alone because there were those around him and there were uh, the 12 and they asked him about the parables. Now that's important to note. It doesn't say just the 12 were with him. It says what? Those who were with him along with the 12 asked him about the parable. See, I thought growing up, you know, if you, you can read this over and I always thought that Jesus explained this parable only to the 12 disciples, but that's not so. It says that he... um he, there were those around him 
and there were the 12, and they asked him about the parables. Verse 11, he answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed look and not perceive, they may indeed listen and not understand, otherwise they might turn back and be forgiven. Okay, this is juicy. This is where it gets good. This is also where we're going to dive into context of the book. How does this uh, story fit into the larger context? Jesus. So the, these people are confused. The 12 are confused. They ask him about the parables. They don't ask him, ask him about like just the single parable. They ask him about the parables that he's teaching because he teaches them many things, including this one parable. And he says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside... Everything comes in parables. Okay, let's talk about the secret of the kingdom of God. Secret is a really unfortunate word because um, I think it, like, we think of secret as, you know, secret secrets are no fun. Secret secrets hurt someone, right? Or you think about a little, like, when you're a little kid and you tell a secret to somebody, like, um, excuse me, you really, really don't want them to, like, know it. And there's, it's concealed. It's very concealed. I think that's a good that's a good word for secret. It's concealed. Another word, the actual the Greek word is mysterion, which is the English word mystery. And I'm sure some translation have the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables. Here is the biggest flaw with that word. It implies that it's uh, completely and utterly unknowable. One scholar named Leslie Newbegin, who, if you haven't read anything by Leslie Newbegin, go read just about everything by him, especially. This one book called The Pluralist, the, Go- the Gospel in a Pluralist Society. The Gospel in a Pluralist Society. So good. He translates, and I think rightfully so, he translates mystery or secret as open secret. Open secret. You see, when we hear the word mystery or secret, we think of like a, you know, a Scooby Doo like movie where or show where you literally have no idea until the very end. Well, that's not the case of what Jesus is saying. It's what, like, what Jesus is doing is basically hiding it in plain sight. You know the phrase, like, oh, it's hidden in plain sight. That's exactly what he's doing. So Jesus is saying the the hidden in plain sight, the open secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables. Okay, who are those outside? Well, good question. Glad you asked. Whenever um, you're confused about a word in the Bible, the best way to interpret the word is to find out the where that exact same word is used in that exact same book. Lucky for us, that word is used, those outside, uh, is used in chapter three. Now in chapter three, um, let's see what chapter three is about. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So the beginning of chapter three, Jesus is talking about, you know, the he's in arguments with the Pharisees and they're mad at him that he's, you know, um, doing things that he shouldn't on the Sabbath. And then um, Jesus heals like tons and tons of people. And then Jesus appoints the 12 disciples in the middle of chapter three. He sends them out to do miracles. And then this is interesting. Jesus goes into a house and he starts, um, he starts casting out demons and he's accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, which is just like a demon. And this is where we get that phrase, you know, a house divided against itself cannot stand. If Satan opposes himself, he's divided. He can't stand. So I can't cast out demons by the power of demons. Otherwise, you know, they have no power. So 
he basically says, I don't drive out demons by this power. And then this is at the end of chapter 3. It's in verse 31. It says that his mother, Jesus' mother, Jesus' brothers, they came. They were standing outside. Same exact word. They were standing outside. They sent word to him. They called him. A crowd was sitting around Jesus. And they told Jesus, look, your mother, your brothers, your sisters, they're outside asking for you. And he said, who are my, Jesus replied to them, who are my mother and my brothers? Then looking around at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my mother and sister and brother. Meaning what? Who is on the inside? He, she who does the will of God. Who is on the outside? He, she who does not do the will of God. Fast forward to the end of this parable. The 12 and those around him are asking, what, what does this mean? Okay, if you're on the inside, you know this. If you're on the outside, you do not know this. Who are those on the inside? Those on the inside are those who do the will of God. Those who are not on the inside, but on the outside, are those who do not do the will of God. So that, then he quotes Isaiah, verse 12, he quotes Isaiah, so that they may indeed look, not perceive, listen, not understand, otherwise they might turn back and be forgiven. Okay, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, whenever a New Testament author quotes the Old Testament, quotes the Hebrew Bible, he, they're not, he, he, he's not just quoting a verse, he's actually importing an entire story, an entire narrative, an entire theology into that text that should trigger us to go, okay, well, wait, I, I need to know more than just this verse. I need to know the whole situation. Well, this quote is from Isaiah 6. And in Isaiah 6, um, Isaiah just sees, he sees the vision of the Lord. He sees this Lord high and lifted up on his throne. He sees the hem of his robe fill the temple. There's all these angels and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is Lord God almighty. Um, or no, sorry, the Lord of armies, the, uh, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Then he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. This angel comes, takes a hot coal, touches his lips. He's then purified. And then um, in verse eight, he hears the Lord ask, who will I send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah responds and he says, here I am, send me. Verse nine of chapter six of Isaiah, the Lord said, go, say to these people, keep listening, but don't understand Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make their minds dull, deafen their ears, blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and they might hear with their ears. Then they might understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. Okay, this is even, you know, it's like we already had one confusing text and now we have two confusing texts. What in the world is going on here? This sounds like and it kind of is, this sounds like God is saying, keep hardening to Isaiah. Hey, keep hardening their eyes uh, or their hearts and closing their eyes and closing their ears because I don't want them to turn back. And that's what it sounds like, right? Let's go back a chapter and figure out the context of this. Remember, it's not just the verse that he's quoting. It's the entire context of this. Well, let's look at the context of Mark 4 again. You got Jesus who's talking about a sower of seed who has different results of the crop. Most of them are bad. Most of them, you know, one of them is on the path and it gets eaten up by the birds. One of them is on, excuse me, the, um, whatchamahiggie, the rocky ground. Another one is on the ground with thorns. And then the final one is on the good ground. So there's this 
there's this parable of seed being the word and ground being the people. And then Jesus says, or I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. And then Jesus says, you know, um, this is only for those who hear. The only people that can hear this are the ones that hear this. And the only people that can see this are the ones that see this. Well, in Isaiah, right before that quote, which the Lord said to Isaiah, like, you know, tell them to listen, but not understand, to see, but not see. Right before that, in chapter five, there's a song of the vineyard. Basically, in chapter five of Isaiah, there's this song that is about a person who makes a vineyard. He makes a garden. He, you know, clears out the rocks from it and he builds a tower of it and he plants these seeds and he wants it to yield good grapes. And what happens? It does not yield good grapes. It yields worthless grapes. And so this guy is super ticked and he's like, well, this is dumb, a waste of my time. And so he tears down the tower that's in the middle of the vineyard. He tears down the trellis. He, he, he burns the field actually. And uh, because, because it did not produce good grapes. Then it says, the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are the plants that he delighted in. He expected justice, but he saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but he rather heard cries of despair. Isaiah 5 is saying, Israel, the house of Judah, the house of Israel, should be the justice of God, should be the embodiment of God, should be the people of God, carrying out the righteousness of God, the justice of God, the peace of God, the love of God, the kingdom of God. But instead, it is not. There is injustice. There is cry. There are cries of despair. And so because of that, the Lord commissions Isaiah to say, hey, you guys are done. Like you guys are already so dead already so hardened of heart that what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually tell you something very plainly, but very not plainly, and you won't understand it because your hearts are already hardened, because your eyes are already shut, because your ears are already shut. Does this sound familiar? Fast forward to Mark. What Mark is doing is he is importing that exact same message here in Mark 4. What Jesus is doing is he is critiquing the Pharisees, the scribes, the quote-unquote religious house, religious people, the quote unquote house of God of this age. He is critiquing them. And he's basically saying, I'm telling you this, you don't understand it because your hearts are already hardened because your ears are already closed, closed because your eyes are already shut. Whew, that's crazy. It's kind of scary too. So that's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying like, I'm going to harden your hearts. What he's saying is your hearts are already, like this is this is who you already are. Think of the ground and we're going to get there in a second, but think of the types of ground. What the seed does, the seed doesn't make the types of ground, the types of ground that they are. The seed just reveals what type of ground is already there, right? In the same way, what parables do is they don't make you have a hard heart. They just reveal what's already there. And here, here's my point. Let's move on with Mark chapter 4, verse 13. This is the explanation now of the parable by Jesus to his people, to the, to, the, to the disciples and to the people that were with him. Then he said to them, Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? Pause. That's a key. That means this parable in particular is 
uh, rubric by which to understand every single parable. Kind of cool. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. Jesus is the sower in this case. Uh, he is sowing the word. Interestingly, Jesus is on the sea and the people, the crowds that were with him were on the ground. He is sowing the word on the ground, the seed on the ground. The sower sows the word. Verse 15, some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes, takes away the word sown in them. Others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown on thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Finally, those like seeds sown on good ground, they hear the word, they welcome it, they produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Here's the interpretation. The ground are different types of people. In the gospel according to Mark, what Mark is doing here is Mark is saying, if you want to understand the whole book of Mark, the four types of ground are four types of characters in the gospel according to Mark. So let's first talk about the gospel according to Mark, and then we'll go to our own lives today. Uh, the, the, the seed that is sown on the path that Satan takes away the word before it's even planted in them, those are the people who, who primarily who Jesus is hiding the kingdom from. Those are outside. Those who those are those who do not do the will of God. Um, in the context of Mark, so far we have the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees are the only ones so far up until chapter four uh, that oppose Jesus. They don't, there's like literally no signs of life in them. The scribes are the same way. The religious authorities are the same way. They are the, the this is the crowd. This is the people that are like, um, like the seed that is sown on the path. There's just, there's just no fruit. They are so hardened of heart. They are so calloused. They are already, and they've, do, they've done it themselves. They did not do the will of God that they have no fruit in them. Now, this is the big one. The next seed is seed that's thrown on the rocky ground. And it says that they hear it, they immediately receive it with joy. But when persecution comes, they immediately fall away. Couple word plays here going on. Um, I was just about to ask you guys a question, but I realized that nobody's here and so nobody can answer me. But the question I was going to ask is, does anybody know what the name Peter means? Does anybody know what the name Peter means? I hope one of you said, oh yeah, Peter means rock, right? You remember that phrase, on this rock, I build my church. Peter, Petra, Petra's a cool band from the 80s. It's all, I think it's the 80s, maybe it's the 70s. I don't know. Never listened to him. Uh but it's also like a cool city that is super rocky. <laughs> um, Peter means rock. What ground is the seed thrown on in the second image? It's thrown on rocky ground. How did Peter, rock, respond to Jesus when Jesus said, uh, follow me? And Mark, it says that he immediately followed him. How did the seed uh, respond when it was thrown on the rocky ground. It says that it immediately sprung up. See where I'm going with this? See these parallels? Um, when we leave the gospel, when we finish the gospel according to Mark, 
what is the last time, where is the last time we see Peter? The last time we see Peter in the Gospel of Mark is in chapter 15 when he runs away terrified because of distress and persecution. What happens to the seed in the rocky soil? As soon as distress and persecution comes, it immediately falls away. Peter and the disciples are the second type of ground in the gospel according to Mark. They are the ones that immediately follow him and then immediately fall away when persecution and distress comes. Now, this is good. Well, let me come back to that. So the disciples are supposed to be uh, the second type of soil, the rocky soil, um, especially Peter. The third type of soil, um, they are the ones who hear the word, but they really like this world. They really like wealth. They really like desires for other things that choke them and then kill them. This is obviously the rich young ruler who comes in. He says, I want you. I want this. But he says, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and then you can inherit the kingdom of heaven. And he's walked away sad. That is the third type of soil. And the fourth type of soil in the gospel, according to Mark, the fourth type of soil is funny because... The people who respond and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold, none of them have names. None of them are named in the gospel according to Mark. There's the woman uh, with internal bleeding who has faith, touches Jesus, and then is healed and goes on and tells everybody. There's Peter's mother-in-law in chapter 2, I believe, maybe chapter 1, who gets healed by Jesus and immediately starts to serve him producing fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. There's the demoniac, the man who's possessed by legion for we are many, right? And then Jesus casts them into the pigs and he doesn't have a name. And then what does he do? He responds to Jesus in faith and he goes and he tells everybody about Jesus. There's all of these characters. There's the no-name centurion at the very end who he realizes that Jesus is the son of God. So all of these people, what Mark is doing here in the fourth chapter in the parable of the sower is he's actually setting up a rubric for us to interpret every other character in. Mark wants us to interpret every character we meet in the gospel of Mark through this lens. Are they the rocky are they the the seed that's are they the path are they the rocky soil where they spring up but then they they fall away are they the um uh, thorned soil where they get um choked out by the desires of this world or are they the good soil producing fruit 30 60 and 100 fold that's what mark wants us to be thinking about and i, I uh there's this book called sowing the gospel by marianne tolbert and it is just absolutely phenomenal skip the first half uh, but read the second half. It is absolutely phenomenal. It will go way more in depth into this than what I did. But uh, for some of you who might be like a little queasy t- when I said that Peter and the disciples are the rocky soil, here's the good news. They don't stay the rocky soil, right? Like they're not just that soil and they're that soil for good. And then forever they cannot be the good, like they can't be the good soil. No, no, no. We know this from the other Gospels. We know this from the book of Acts. We know this from the fact that we're Christians today. We are inheritors of their faith. Jesus says that upon this rock, upon you, Peter, I will build my church. We know that although there were times, and in the Gospel according to Mark, they, they, they were like the rocky soil. They didn't stay there. And this is where it gets personal, too, of like, 
you know, you might be asking, well, how do I know which soil I am or what am I? And the answer is like all the above, right? Like, I mean, how many times have you um, folded whenever distress and persecution come? I know I have. Probably, probably more so uh, in our cultural moment. We, we've, we're faced less with persecution. Uh, we're faced more with the, the uh, what does it say, the worries of this age. We're faced with the deceitfulness of wealth. Oh my gosh, we are. We're faced with the desires for other things that choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. How many times have I done that? How many times have you done that? But the question isn't, or uh, sorry, the point isn't, identifying as a soil and then saying, well, I guess I'm that soil. So that sucks. The point is, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to, what Jesus's first message was repent and believe. If you're sitting here and you're like, I'm none of the soils, I'm fine. I'm above reproach. Then you're probably the one that is on the path. I'm just going to be honest. But if you're sitting here and you're like, man, there are times when I am that second soil or there are times when I'm that third soil, the soil that is um, that is terrified of persecution or the soil that is just so easily choked out by the love of the world. Good, good, because so are the disciples. I think this is such a human gospel. I think Mark is such a human gospel because it portrays the disciples as blubbering idiots who don't get it, but then the Lord uses those people to completely transform the entire world for his kingdom, aka the church. And you and I are inheritors of that. So the goal then is to be the good soil, right? The goal is to have the word. Uh, we hear it. We welcome it. We do the will of God. Just like um, Jesus said in chapter three, we repent. We be- we believe just like he said in chapter one. And we are like these people who, who don't have a name in the gospel, according to Mark. We're like the people who rip open the the uh, uh, roof to, because of their faith to let their friend in, the woman who who reaches out for Jesus, wanting to be healed by him, wanting to be saved, the 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 centurion guy who says, um, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. And the, the Roman centurion at the very end who says, truly, this is the son of God. That's the goal. That's the goal of this parable is to say, look, there's different types of soil. Which one are you? But what, like, let's not stay there. Let's repent of when we've been choked out by the love of this world. Let's repent from when we folded under pressure and persecution. And let's hear the word. Let's believe it. Let's do the will of God the Father. Let's interact with Jesus and then be radically transformed by him because he is the new creation. He He in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is what this is about. Whew, I'm getting all preachy. Sorry about that. Um. Okay, I think that's all I've got for Mark 4, 1 through 20. Really, really good. Again, I think I mentioned two books. One is The Gospel in a Pluralist Society by um, Leslie Newbegin, and the other is Sowing the Gospel by Mary Ann Tolbert. I'll have these in the show notes with links as well if you want to get them. I'll probably actually throw in a few more uh, commentaries too, but um, may you go in peace blessings on you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. And uh, we'll see you when we see you. Thanks again for listening. And we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Mm-hmm.